Okay, our reading today is from Psalm 139, 13 to 22. Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul I am marvelously made, fearfully set apart. I worship in adoration, what a creation. You know me inside and out, you know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I even lived one day. Your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful. God, I'll never comprehend them. I can't even begin to count them, any more than I could count the sand of the sea. Oh, let me rise in the morning and live always with you. And please, God, do away with wickedness for good. And you murderers, out of here. All the men and women who belittle you, God, infatuated with cheap God imitations. See how I hate those who hate you? God, see how I loathe all this godless arrogance? I hate it with pure, unadulterated hatred. Your enemies are my enemies. Thanks, Christine. So how comfortable is it to read those last few lines? <laughs> Usually we stop, right? Like before we get, to, uh, <laughs> we get to that part. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 139. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to make our way to those last really uncomfortable lines that we had Christine read for us. Um, I'm sure you can identify to this, right? That um, C.S. Lewis once said, and I think, it's, I think it's true, that we are made for heaven. That... Um, that as humans, like, there's something that maybe, maybe as, especially as we grow, like, maybe we kind of tune out because of the pursuit of pleasures of the moment. Or um, maybe uh, we distract ourselves um, um, with tasks or whatever. But, like, in the quiet moments, no matter how old we are and where we're at, like, there's something in us that longs for another place. And Lewis would say that, that, we're, that desire for this proper place, for this, this place heaven, this place of dwelling with God that, um, uh, that Ryan read for us at the beginning, right? That, that our soul craves to be in. It's, it's already in us, this craving, this desire. Even if it's not yet attached to the true object yet. Something in us longs for another place, for a life forever, a life at peace, a life of wholeness, a life of fullness, a life, um, honestly, a life with God, right? And whether we recognize that as that longing, whether we recognize and can name the longing specifically, if we think about it, like, again, it's true. Again, most of the time, the only time we think about it is when we're in quiet places. Um, sometimes the just distractions of life, the things going on in life, keep us from recognizing what that kind of underlying disquietness is, that, that uh, dissatisfaction, that... Um, and it's not a dissatisfaction, not always in a way that's just super negative, but just in a way that longs for more, longs for completeness, for wholeness, for fullness. And it's because we've actually been created for something more. We've been created for, for what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, right? A life in which we're freed from all that would hold us captive, that would keep us from becoming who we are meant to be fully and truly. A life that is free from all that would oppress us from who God says that we are and what we're made for and what, what we actually can potentially and fully do. And that we're able to see clearly who God is and who we are. We're no longer blind to the reality and the truth of that God is with us. The good news, that God is with us and God is for us, that he's not against us, but that he longs to share his glory with us. He longs to let us know 
that just like Jesus, that he is pleased with us simply for the fact of our being. And that we can live in that pleasure if we so choose. Like, that's what God longs for us to know. That's what, that's what we crave in our, in our own being, to be in a place where we can live fully into who we are for the service of others in God and see that soul-satisfying fulfillment. Thomas Merton says, there is something in the depths of our being that hungers for wholeness and finality. There's something in the depth of our being that hungers for wholeness and finality. We want to... We want to be full, complete, at peace. We want to have an end, a destination, a place. This is a spiritual instinct that tells us obscurely that our own lives have a particular importance and purpose. Even if the world around us, maybe other inner voices within us would say something else, right? There's still something in us that says, and a spiritual instinct that tells us that our own lives have a particular importance and purpose. And urge us, urge us to a decision that will dedicate our lives irrevocably to, the, to their true purpose. We long to, as we sang a minute ago, to live a life of abandon. To abandon ourselves to something whole and true and pure and good. And Merton would say, that's because we're made for eternal life. The only good and true and beautiful. Life forever, life in its fullness. How amazing would it be to be ones who know how to live that life? To go to that place, to know what to give ourselves wholly and completely to. Know how to satisfy that spiritual instinct, that, that, um, that longing that C.S. Lewis mentioned, to know what its true attachment and its object is. Well, the psalmist says, blessed, already happy are those who indeed, who recognize the source of that strength, to give them the strength to desire that. Because let's be honest, like, if you think about it, the things I've just said, the life that we've longed for, feels a little overwhelming and intimidating at times, right? We live in a world where it's hard to see that kind of life as available for us. Like, we know what brokenness is. We know what difficulties are. We know what struggles are. We know that we still exist in a world where, um, where sometimes we're unsure of who we are, much less like we're being told all these other things about who we are. We know that we live in a world that um, when we strive after something, we tend to not always get the thing we strive after, right? Like we know the, the, those feelings and those brokenness. We know that not everything in life feels like it's for us, and most of life at times sometimes feels like it's against us, right? And so it takes a strength in order for us to even to desire the thing that we desire most. So how blessed, the psalmist says in Psalm 84, are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those who realize that the, what we desire, and again, we talked about this before, so forgive me if I'm rushing too quickly through it. But remember what Paul said to the Philippians. Like, it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, both to give you the desire itself, to give you the strength to desire the thing that you're meant to be, the thing that you're meant to go for and abandon yourself to, God strengthens you to be the ones who can pursue that. How blessed are you when you recognize that? That God doesn't just give, do the work for us in saving us, but he gives us the, the strength to actually desire the thing that we actually crave most as humans in the midst of a world that feels like we'll never fulfill it. So how blessed are those whose strength is in, is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion, whose heart are the highways to God's dwelling. 
How amazing is it to be ones whose heart leads us, whose heart's desire lead us to the place that we actually want to be? In another translation, it says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to again, to the dwelling place of God. How blessed, already content, and full, and happy are those who recognize that the strength of what they want has already been given to them. It's the Lord's, not their own. And their hearts, their minds, their being is set on this journey towards that thing which their heart craves, to be with God, to be whole and complete in God. That's the life that we're after, right? And hopefully through Psalm 139, we have discovered that that God's exhaustive knowledge of us. Remember how the psalmist began um, in the first few verses? The, The Lord has searched me and known me. He knows my waking up and my lying down. He knows my going out before I go out and my coming in before I come in. He knows everything about my heart. He hems me in before and behind. He knows me at the height of my existence, at the depths of of my own personal brokenness, right? He knows me when I'm dragged into ecstasy, and he knows me when I'm dragged into despair. He's been there with me, and every time, even in those places where where nothing is hidden from him, where I'm completely exposed, I'm not moved out of his presence. I'm not kept from him. Something about even the Lord knowing all those things. Because listen, it's kind of intimidating to think about that the Lord knows all those things, right? All my thoughts, all my actions, where I'm going, what I've been, at my heights when I'm like praising him, yeah, I'm all good for him to know me. But when I'm depths, when I'm cursing him, do I really want him to know me? Right? But he does. And the psalmist discovers that in that, the Lord's never, not one time, not one time, put any sort of blockade from his presence with the psalmist. The psalmist's own soul, own heart, own life, own, my, own mind, maybe has felt like God might be, but what he's discovered in God's knowledge of him is that God has never been anywhere but exactly here, exactly there, as close and as tight as one could be. And then the psalmist says what Christine read for us today. Psalm 139, verse 13. Here's what it says in, um, in the ESV translation. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You've knitted me together in my mother's womb. So not only have you been with me and you know me emotionally, intellectually, you know all my thoughts, all my emotions, everything that drives me, all my motives, you know me at my best and at my worst, but even more so, you're the one who shaped me and formed me. You don't just know me in the sense of like relationally you were there, which is awesome and amazing. A friend, a true friend, like Jesus calls us. But you actually know me even deeper than that. You know me at a cellular level. Everything about me. You formed it. You shaped it. There was something of you in me, in my creation. You knew me in my mother's womb. You formed my inner parts. I praise you. Listen to this. When the psalmist discovers this, what does the psalmist do? Discovers that not only am I known and nothing, even in the worst of me, has kept me God's presence from me and God, God being with me. But then I discover how not just God knows me emotionally and mentally, but God actually knows the very essence of me in all ways that we can de- describe that. So what does the psalmist naturally do? The psalmist praises, praises, but what does he praise? 
He praises the Lord for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully set apart. I am holy. I praise you, God, because you have made me holy. You have made me separate for a purpose. You have drawn me out into creation, into existence for a reason. He recognizes the thing that we all crave, right? That, that his soul, that, that, that spirit, that, what did, uh, what did uh, Merton say? That spiritual instinct that tells them that his life has a particular importance and purpose. That's what he's praising the Lord for. He recognizes that he has that, that God's given that. He doesn't just praise God for being great. He praises God for making him something amazing and spectacular. Right? And he says, wonderful are your works. Look, you did this. You created me. You've known this. He praises the Lord. He understands that his, 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 um, this thing, this, this purpose in his life is not simply just his own desire but it is the desire of God for him. Blessed are your works. Holy are your works. Wonderful are your works. And listen to what he says. My soul knows it very well. Not my mind, not my heart, but my soul. The eternal reality of my being, the very depth that penetrates everything, knows it. How wonderful that, that is, right? To know completely and fully that he is known, loved, and purposed has everything within that relationship with God to be truly and fully and wholly who he is, who he can be, who he will be. His soul is satisfied. His soul is home. My frame was not hidden from you, the psalmist says in verse 15, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Again, you've known all of this, Lord. He has to repeat it again. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When yet there was not even one of them. Not only does he know that now God knows him in, a, in an intimate way, God knows him in a personal way, God knows him in this, this complete essence way, in this purpose way, that God has formed him for a purpose, but he knows now that what he's formed into is something that's going to continue from this moment. This isn't the mountaintop. This isn't the destination fully, right? That the days that he's going forward to live is this pilgrimage, this, this going to the fullness that is his, that what, what lies before him is all that God intends for him, all that God desires for him. He says, before I was even formed, you knew this is where you wanted me to be, not just today in this place, but tomorrow in who I am fully meant to be. How precious to me, verse 17, are your thoughts, O God. That's why God's thoughts are precious to me. Think about it. The psalmist began recognizing that the things that he's come to discover are not his own, but are God's. How precious is it to know what God thinks of me, what God intends for me, who God says I am and has made me to be, and intends for me to live out. How precious to me are thoughts. How vast is the sum of them? It's too much, right? Like, it's overwhelming. I can't think about it, and it's hard for us to think about, right? To think about all that we are created to be, who we truly are. Sometimes it's hard to think about because, like, we feel like we don't deserve it, right? Sometimes it's hard to think about it because we can't understand how it's going to all play out. Sometimes it's hard to understand because we don't, we don't really quite believe it yet. 
But either way, like it's hard for us to get into the fullness of it, to grasp it totally. And the psalmist here, I think, is like, I just can't imagine more than I can imagine. <laughs> but God does. And that's what I'm caught up in. If I would count them, he says in verse 18, they are more than the sand, <laughs> more than the sand of the seashore. What God intends for us, what God plans for us, what God knows of us is so much more detailed that the closest comparison he has is if I could count the sand in the seashore, then I would know. It's impossible, right? But it doesn't mean that we don't know some of it. Because here's what the psalmist says. It's like a dream, right? It's almost like I'm living in this dream. But what does the psalmist say in verse 18? I'm awake. I'm not in a dream. This isn't pretend. This isn't something, this isn't a billboard sign. This isn't a commercial. This isn't like some fantasy movie. Like this, this isn't pretend. This is real. I'm awake and I'm still with you. My eyes are open. My heart is open. I'm fully known. You, I'm beginning to glimpse a little bit of all that you say that I am and imagine me to be. And then pinch myself because it's real. Like, it's actually true. I can actually live in it. And of course, when we get to that spot, right, I think we would say, like, okay, I'm all in. Right? I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be, this, this is what I'm, I've been made to abandon myself to. Right? To, to have in my heart to know the strength that is the Lord's that is mine because of him. And to know that my heart desires what the Lord desires for me. So now I'm going to walk into it. I'm going to be led into it. So now I'm ready to give myself all the way into this. And if I were you, and as maybe we felt a minute ago, like Christine, like we would kind of think that this praise would just keep on going. But what does the psalmist say in verse 19? Verse 19, it says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. From this height of knowing himself, the psalmist says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Of men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred, and I count them my enemies. Here's what's happening. In these most uncomfortable verses, we're getting a glimpse to see the birthing of commitment, of what commitment looks like. Because think about it. What the psalmist says in verse 19 is essentially, stay away from me all wicked things. Anything that would say anything other than what God has said, I don't want anything to do with it. Right? That's what he's saying. Like, listen, I've discovered what God said is true. Who I am who he's made me to be, what he intends for me, what he imagines for me. So I don't want anything at all to do with anything else. Stay away. Everything that do violence to what God, that would murder the life that God had given me, has given me, who would take it, I want it done away with. I don't want to be around anybody who would try to convince me or make me think that God is saying anything else than what God has said. Right? Anything, any that would, that would speak against this God or would speak of the ways of God in a way that would draw me away from the very thing that I've discovered is my, what my soul has longed for my entire life. And so he almost, he says it, but he almost asks it, right? In verse 21, 
Don't I hate those who hate you, Lord? Like, isn't this where my heart is at? Isn't my heart at this place where I'm against everything that you're against? It's against everything that you say that I am. Isn't my heart there? And don't I loathe those who are against you? Yeah, 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 I do, he says. Like, my heart's like, yeah, I, my, I do. I hate those things. Your enemies are my enemies. And listen, while there is truth to that passion, right? We've all kind of been there, I think. A lot of us have. We said, hey, we're fully committed into this life of faith. And so I don't want anything to do with anything else but this life of faith. But here's the, what, the, what the psalmist does differently than what we often do. He says these things, and then instinctually, he knows something's off. This isn't the end place. This may be the beginning of commitment, but it's not really the end. Because there's one thing to be against what God is against. There's another thing to be for what God is for. Do you remember last week we, we made a statement of what, um, what we're created for, what sin does and why, why sin is uh, a sin against our personality, our personality, not just sin against God, which it is, but it's also a sin against who we are because, um, because of what it detracts from, um, our orientation, our fundamental orientation to God. We said in that statement that sin, that, that we are created for something, that we are created to will what God wills, to desire what God desires. To, um, to know what God knows, like we've learned in Psalm 139, to know what he knows of us and to know him fully and accurately, right? But we're also to love what God loves. And the psalmist hasn't quite got to that love what God loves part yet, has he? And listen, we all go through this, whether, whether it manifests itself in our... Um, our commitment to, when we talk about being committed to the life that God has given us, our commitment against everything that would keep us from it, right? We give up everything that would keep us from, from the life God's called us to, whether that be uh, friends or behaviors or um, um, uh, maybe places to go or jobs or whatever it is. We're, we're all in. We're going we're gonna to commit ourselves to give up those things, to abandon ourselves away from those things right into God. And then one, maybe, maybe we're going to then not just abandon those kind of things. Now we're going to be actively against anything that is against God's things, right? Anything that is against what we perceive to be God's desire. And a lot of times, like if we're honest, this is where religion stagnates. This is where our own souls begin to stagnate. We, we rightfully... Say, Lord, we want what you want. We want who you say we are. We want to be who you say we are. And so we say, we're against everything that you're against. And there's a good and true thing to be against the things that God's against. To ask the Lord to end all wickedness. To keep yourself from, from the lies that would, say, that would pull you away from who he says you are. But when it terminates on being against who you're against, God... It doesn't end where God wants it to end. You know how we know that? Jesus. Remember what we said all along. That this, this life that we're trying to strive after, is a, the, the way to it is to not just lay aside every weight and sin that easily entangles us. Not just to look to others who have gone before us in faith and see how they've lived it out. But first and foremost, to look to Jesus. The one who began our faith who set it in motion, who spoke it into being, who breathed it into life, but also the one who is the perfecter of our faith. 
the conclusion, the place, the one who draws us and puts it all together for us. And so what does Jesus say about this zealous passion to be fully committed to what, who we're meant to be in God, to desire what God desires for us, which is our first commitment. Well, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5. You can stay where you're at in Psalm 149 because we'll come right back. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5. And I think we have the, the verse for this somewhere in there. Yeah. Jesus said to all, uh, nope, that's not the one. Sorry, it's Matthew 5. It's, I think it's its own separate slide. There you go. Yeah, Jesus said, you are familiar with the old, uh, the old law. Love your friend, and it's written, hate your enemy. Like, that's nowhere in the scriptures, but that's how we operate in life, right? Love your friend, hate your enemy. Love God, hate everything that's against God and those that are against God. Love your friend. God's our friend. Look at who he showed himself to be, who he shows us to be, and hate your enemy. Jesus says, I'm changing that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. For then you're working out of your true selves. Then you're actually, you're actually living out who you really are. Your God-created self. Your God-fashioned and formed Psalm 139 self. That is what God does, after all. He gives his best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish everyone, regardless of who they are. The good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. This is how God operates, right? He pours out his best, even those who have want nothing to do with him. If, you all, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. Everybody does that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Mature. In the ESV or other versions, maybe the version you're familiar with, like if you're familiar with this text, it says be perfect as the Father is perfect. Your Heavenly Father is perfect. But perfection is not a moral, um, um, not a list of, hey, I did these eight things and I got them all right. The actual term in the, in the Greek language is the idea of maturation, fullness, wholeness, that you've grown up. You've reached your end conclusion, your teleos. That's what the, the word actually is. To be one who gets to their end, who is their end, who is fully them, just as the Father is fully who he is. So grow up, mature, become who God's made you to be, your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Do you know who Jesus was talking to when he said this? Anybody? What? Pharisees, right? And who, who were Pharisees? They knew the law. They knew the, word, they, knew, they knew the law. They knew the word of God. In reality, they were people who fully expected God to work on their behalf. Who fully expected and knew that God would triumph, the good would triumph over evil. 
that God would come, that God would do his will, and then when his will is done, that those who are good and full would get to live with him. That they were expecting God to do that. They were looking to God to do that. Who studied the scriptures and who had formed their lives around the whole idea that God knew what was best and they were going to follow and do everything that God said was good and best. And to them, Jesus says, you missed it. You're still holding to the old way of thinking. You never got past Psalm 139.22. But listen, again, there's something to go back to the psalm. There's something intuitively that the psalmist knows. The psalmist knows that hating enemies is not the end. It's the beginning. There's a passion there, right? There's a zeal there. To hate something, to hate someone, there's some sort of passion, right, and commitment. There's something that they're committed to, right? And so, but it doesn't manifest there. It doesn't stay there. It doesn't terminate there. There's a, there's a going beyond it. So what does the psalmist pray in verse 23? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Examine me and know my, remember what the word is in verse 23. It's not thoughts. It's disquieting thoughts. Know what gets me charged up, my passions, and what makes me really anxious. What I really want and desire and what my heart really cares about. That's what the word means. So the psalmist knows instinctually that he's not arrived yet. He's beginning to saying, hey, I'm fully giving myself to God. But in the end, I want what Psalm 84, 5 says. I want to know that my heart is leading me to what God wants. And I'm not sure that it does. So tell me, Lord, does it? Help me, Lord. Show me. Search me. Examine me. Lead me, he says in verse 24. Lead me in the way everlasting, in the way ancient and everlasting. Help me to get, make sure that my heart is on the right path. Right? Because that's what Psalm 84, 5 says, right? How blessed it is to know that our strength is the Lord's. I think most of us that I know in this room can say that we believe that the strength of our own salvation, the strength of our faith, the strength of who we think we are and want to be is the Lord, who he says we are and intends for us to be. But how many of us believe that our hearts, what we desire, is actually leading us into the place of God? That what we long for is actually what the Lord longs for. That's what the psalmist wants. The first step, the really uncomfortable step, is to abandon yourselves fully into what God wants. To say, I don't want anything to do with anything else. I'm fully committing to will what you will, to know what you know, to love what you know, to love what you love. Again, he doesn't quite get to the love what you love part. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But, like, but he's willing to say, like, I want to will what you will. So everything that keeps me from that, let it be gone. I want to know what you know, and I don't want to know anything else. So keep it away from my ears. Keep it away from my eyes. Keep it away from having any sort of way to get into me. And that's really kind of our first step into it. But it's not our last step. It's only the beginning. What God desires for us, and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, is he desires for us to know that what we desire is actually what he desires. Because our hearts are in tune. Because he knows them, has shaped them, has formed them, has seen where they're going. And so it starts with doing a little heart check.
before we can go any further in the exam, before we can move any further into what it looks like to live a committed life of joy, to give ourselves a banner and ourselves wholly into something specific in particular, we have to first abandon ourselves to God. To he, his knowledge of us, what he desires for us, his love and affection for us. But then we have to ask him to search our hearts. Not so that he can kind of figure out what, what's wrong and, um, and correct us for it, like rebuke us for it, or to, to, to make us feel like we're somehow um, um, unable to, to, to do the thing. Like we were talking about it with the kids earlier today. There's this, um, there's this idea that, um, um, that grace is only uh, for when we do bad things, right? I mean, how many of us kind of think that? I'm skipping on this, right? So, like, God doesn't do to me what, what I deserve, and so therefore he's gracious. My parents don't do to me, give me what I deserve, my punishment I deserve because they're gracious. But that's not what our scriptures teach. They teach that. That's a part of grace. But what, what grace actually is, is unearned, unmerited favor, right? So like, so did you make yourself? Did you create yourself? Did you give yourself the longings and passions that, that are even inside of you? You didn't, right? So there's grace in that. That's grace. You didn't earn any of that favor, the goodness. God gave that to you. And he desires you to experience the fullness of it. Because here's the thing. What God desires for you is his good pleasure. He created you to be a part of his story, to be a part of something more and good and true and beautiful and forever, that heaven that you long for. And we, all we, all we want to know is exactly what that means. But we can't know what that means until our hearts, we know our hearts. And our hearts have hearts like the psalmist of Psalm 84 that lead us to where God intends us. And then we can trust our hearts. I know that's not what we're taught, right? We're taught the opposite, that our hearts are wicked and deceitful and corrupted. And that's, there's truth to that. But what Jesus has done, this is also true, is he's given us a new heart. He indwells us, as we've talked about over the last few weeks, right? His spirit fills us. His spirit speaks to us what's true and good and beautiful. His spirit convicts us of what is sin and righteousness and judgment. His heart is our heart. His mind is our mind. And we have to learn to listen, to learn to listen and respond to our heart that's his heart. So that's what we're going to do today for the last few minutes that we have together. We're going to do a little heart check. Some heart questions. So what I want you to do is I just want you to quiet your heart. Because here's the thing with our hearts. They run all over the place. They're always beating. They're always moving. They're always going, right? So do this for me. Close your eyes. Or look down at the ground if you're uncomfortable closing your eyes. The idea is just to, to be still and still with just yourself and with God. Because again, when does our deepest longings come up most often? When we're quiet when we're alone. And there's not distractions, even internal distractions. So close your eyes, bow your head, however you want to do it. Just be still and alone in the midst of others. And then do this. Take a deep breath. Breathe in the spirit of truth. 
and breathe out any anxiety or fear or arrogance that would keep you from receiving what you need most. God's exhaustive and free knowledge of you. Prepare yourself with a deep breath to be guided to all truth and the peace of a heart and mind that is guarded by Jesus. And in that, ask the Spirit, in that quiet, in that stillness, in that breathing in that God is with you, that God is for you, that Jesus guards your heart. He's known it, he's formed it, he knows every inside and out, its darkest place, its brightest place, what its intentions are, what they could and should be. He knows it, he's guarding it. So ask the Spirit to search you, to examine your disquieting thoughts, your passions and anticipations, your concerns and anxieties. Just ask the Spirit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. There's going to be some questions up on the screen in just a second. These are just questions. You don't have to use them or go through them. But if, like, as you find your mind wandering, like as the next few moments in the quiet... You don't really know what to think and how to kind of get back on track of where we're at. Just open your eyes, look at the screen, and ask the Spirit one of those questions. It'll help bring you back into what we're doing here in this moment. Asking the Spirit who we trust and the God who knows us and has called us friend, who we've given ourselves to, to help us see that our hearts are indeed, by His grace and His goodness and His strength, the highways to his dwelling. I'll give us a few minutes of quiet now.
there's this beautiful um, imagery that happens at the end of Psalm 84, uh, verses 6 and 7, after 84, 5, after this, blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord and whose heart are the highways to God's dwelling. It says that at those who know this, who live this, they go through these lonesome valleys, these dry places, the valley of Baca in the actual translation. And yet, in the dry places, the lonely places, the desert places, they make those places springs of living water. Why? Because the cool early rain has already covered it with pools. Like even in desert places, they recognize that God's gone before them, poured out water there, and now they get to be the thing that brings life to others. It says in verse 7 that they get to go from strength to strength. This is really what God desires for us, that our hearts would be ones that don't just, again, terminate on what, on what we think of ourselves or on even just this like, like unimaginable idea of all that God imagines for us. <laughs> but that our very being becomes nourishment to everyone around us. We're starving and thirsty for drink. Because indeed, we are on the path to appear before God's dwelling. So here's what I want us to do. Remember, friends, this, two things. Jesus says in John 14, that the friend, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. So if right now, in these few moments, it doesn't feel clear, it feels hazy, and, this, and you're not really sure where to go and what to do and what to think, to lean on the friend, the Holy Spirit, who will remind you of all these things that I have told you, who will leave you well and whole, because that's what Jesus leaves you. He says, that's my parting gift to you, is peace. Paul picks that up in his letter to the Philippians. He says, in the peace of God, the peace that Jesus has given us, our well and wholeness in the filling of his spirit, surpasses all understanding, and guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus that we begin to believe that and live into that. And so before we end our time, before we go back into a week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a prayer. The psalmist prays, lead me, O God, in a way ancient and everlasting. We never end our time of letting God know us and see us submitting ourselves to him without ever asking, Lord, lead me. Lord, take me. Show me. Not just show me so I can see it, but show me so I can live it. Help me to live it. And so what, I'm gonna, what I want you to do is really simple with your paper. Is I just want you to write initially this prayer. It's Psalm 86. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart. Make my heart whole. My heart that's your heart, right? My heart is guarded by the heart and mind of Jesus. Unite my heart to fear your name, to be in awe and wonder of you, to be obedient to you. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I glorify your name forever. Write that, and then just write whatever the Spirit leads you to write, whatever the Spirit leads you to, to say to God. Right? And then it's yours. It's your prayer. We're just going to take three minutes to do that, okay? 
And then Chaz is going to come up, and he's going he's to um, help us end our time together in worship. Let me say this before, before you do this. Sorry. I meant to say this those last few weeks. Um, so we do all these things, and sometimes we have an opportunity to talk about this with each other. Sometimes we don't. Um, and my apologies that we haven't done a better job of making sure there's time for us to talk about it here. But like, if this just terminates on here with you, it's never really going to go much further than this. Like everything that you talk about, the re- part of the reason I, we ask you to write things down is so you can share it. You can remind yourself, but you can also share it with others. You can invite others into your life with you, into the journey with you, whether that be a friend or a spouse, a DNA member, or somebody in your gospel community. Like, don't not talk about these things. These should be our normal conversation. Anybody here in this room right now has done the exact same thing that you've done. Is it feeling very similar thoughts that you're feeling? Is working through very similar emotions that you're working through? So talk to them about it. Even if you don't know some of the people here today, grab somebody. Just be like, hey, can we talk about this for just a second, all right? And that help that be a normal thing for our faith family. That we don't just end our times, have our little personal deal, stick it in our pocket, and, and don't come back to it. But ones that help each other have this conversation over and over and over and over again until we finally arrive home, okay? Let me pray for you, and then I want you to pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you have given us hearts that are fresh and new in Jesus. The Christ's mind has been shared with us. So help us, Father, to have a whole heart that, like Jesus, fears you, is in awe of you and wonder of you, is willing to be led by you because we know that it is good and that all that you have is goodness for us and for others. In your name we pray.